Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Hey, guys, welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Thursday, April 30th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Guys, I have such a jam-packed show for you tonight. I don't even have much time to chat for the opening here. So I hope you're all doing well. You're ready for May 1st tomorrow. Some states are going to be opening back up. There's lots of uncertainty out there. So I hope you're all doing good physically and emotionally. It's a tough time. Reach out to friends, reach out to family, and chat for everybody. But uh, we're, we're moving on here. So I just want to thank you. I put together, I'm putting together right now our little April thank you list for all of our guests to put out there. And guys, going five days a week for the month of April. I did 32 interviews that were on the air in April. So thanks to all of my guests. Thanks to you guys for listening. Listenership is up almost 5,000 listeners per episode. And I just want to thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate you all being part of the Left of Straight family. We've had some great interviews so far, and it looks like May is going to be more of the same. I think we'll have close to that same 30 or so again. So Anyway, last night, an amazing show. Sam Cushing was on, Instagram, YouTube star, great digital marketer, all-around great guy. Like I said last night, just like Captain America, good-looking, nice, and just got it all together. So that was a great interview with him. And then Rachel Mason was on, who is a documentary. Her film she just directed and produced called A Circus of Books is about a gay bookstore in West Hollywood, one of the oldest, and her family took over in 82. And the interesting thing is it's a straight family overall, or her parents are straight, a a nice Jewish couple, and became like major players in the gay porn industry in West Hollywood back in the 80s and 90s. Fascinating movie uh, documentaries available on Netflix right now. Uh, Fascinating story. So please check out your podcast distributor. It's up now in every place iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts and iTunes, uh, Spotify, all those fun things. Check that out. Get into the show. We're going to run out of time tonight. I have three amazing guests. They're all pre-taped interviews that I did last week. Um, I think one was the week before. And three great brand new people. I think it's uh, two of them's first time on the show. One is back for a second time. Starting off in just a couple of seconds, we're going to have Josh Conkle on. He is such a good writer. He's an author. He's a playwright. 
He's currently writing for The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, one of my favorite shows. He had a short film directed by and starring Danny DeVito and his daughter, which was amazing. So he'll be on and talk about all that in just a little bit. And then after that, back to the show is Josh Robbins, who is an amazing HIV advocate, uh, speaker, and he brought along his brand new fiance. And guys, they're in love. Such a great couple. And his fiance, Jeffrey, has an interesting story. We're going to hint at a little bit tonight and bring him back for a full interview. But that'll be on second, talking advocacy. Then we're going to finish up tonight with a great interview with Kyle Langan. He has a lifestyle brand he created called Hamptons to Hollywood. Basically what it means, he grew up and lived near the Hamptons, visited all the time, lived there, ended up moving to Hollywood, West Hollywood area, and has had this amazing blog and YouTube channel and done all these great things for this lifestyle brand. So we're going to finish up the day with him. So three great interviews. I'm so excited to bring it to you. We're going to start with Josh um, Conkle here in just a couple of seconds have a little music interlude, and if I have time, I will come say goodbye live at the end. So thanks for listening to Left of Straight Show. Follow me on social media, Instagram and Twitter, at Left of Straight, and I will talk to you hopefully at the end. Enjoy these three amazing interviews. Feel your love for 
check out our next interview with Matt. He's got a whole new album out we're going to talk about. But right now, guys, I'm excited to have my next guest on. He's a playwright, author, and screenwriter whose work's been produced all over the world. He's written for Netflix's A Series of Unfortunate Events and one of my personal favorites, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. His short film, Curmudgeons, which was directed by and starring none other than Danny DeVito, is available now streaming and it's been a hit at film festivals around the world. I'm excited to get on the show now, and uh, let's take advantage of the great lockdown of 2020. Welcome to the show, Mr. Josh Conkle. Josh, how you doing, buddy? Oh, good. Thanks for having me. I am glad to have you. Thanks for taking the time to come on. I know there's not a lot going on in the world out there. How are you surviving with <laughs> Corona 2020? <laughs> Uh, you know, I live alone with a puppy, and so uh, she's been alternatingly, like, a really big help, and then other times I look at her and I'm like, I'm sick of this hoe. Uh, but I'm I'm okay, you know, I'm slowly turning into Miss Havisham, um, but <laughs> I'm trying to, like, keep it, you know, keep it tight and together. There you go. Well, I like it. You're helping me live with your Twitter feed. You're usually pretty funny. I like that. <laughs> it gets me through the day, so keep on it. I appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start at the beginning. Give my listeners a little background since it's your first time on the show. Um, I know you're kind of all over the place, but where do you think you grew up? What kind of a kid were you? And what did you first want to be when you grew up? <laughs> uh, I'm originally from Kentucky. My whole family is, uh, you know, I come from like a long line of um coal miners and hillbillies and all that sort of stuff, but I wasn't raised there. Luckily I had a stepdad who was in the military. So we uh, moved around a lot. And then I, I grew up in Washington state um, about two hours from Seattle. And this was during the nineties. So I got really into like alt rock and um, you know, the feminist and queer punk scene of the Pacific Northwest in the nineties. And so that was really um, formative for me. And then I went to a little art school in Seattle called Cornish where I studied playwriting and then Two weeks after I graduated from college, I moved to New York because I'd gotten a job or an internship, rather, um, assistant directing a Broadway show called The Light in the Piazza, which ended up winning a bunch of Tony Awards. And so I was living this weird life in New York in my early 20s where I was like 
interning on Broadway musicals, but then I was like um, a rocker by night and like trying to write my little avant-garde plays. And um, eventually I had my own little shared theater space in the East Village with some friends and I, I started writing plays there and producing them myself. And then I wrote a play called Milk Milk Lemonade in 2009 or 2010 that ended up being sort of this weird runaway cult hit. And from there, you know, I got an agent and I got started getting produced all around the world. And, and um, so that's what I was doing. But that whole time I had to have a day job in advertising, which I hated very much. And um, yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Advertising is absolutely the worst. Um, (laughs) They try to trick you into thinking that it's like a glamorous creative career, but really you're just working 90 hours a week and you know, the directors that I would work with would be so awful and they all acted like oh. they were David Lynch. And you're like, dude, this is a key of commercial. <laughs> Keep it in perspective, you know? Oh, um, so I really hated that. And and then um, right when I had given up kind of on being a professional writer, I made this short film with Danny DeVito. He had seen the play version of it at um, Ensemble Studio Theater. Uh, his daughter, Lucy, who's also in the movie, is, is my good friend. And so they decided to, as a family project, make a short version of it. And uh, the one-two punch of, like, making that happen. And then I and then I got staffed on um, my first TV job, which was a series of unfortunate events, kind of allowed me to write full-time. At the same time, I was also, like, leaving a terrible relationship in New York. So I thought it would be a really good time to just – cut my losses and move to LA and give screenwriting, um, you know, my all, which was a really good move. And and I don't know why theater is so hard. It's like basically impossible to make a living as a playwright. Um, And it's so funny because you're working so hard for like not very much return. And meanwhile, Hollywood was like, come right in, step right this way, sir. You know, like Hollywood (laughs) is just so great to me and theater was such a bitch to me. So, um, in the past couple of years, I've really focused on, on um, screenwriting. You know, I, I work on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina now. I've always been a big horror person. I'm a super witchy person. And so it's been a perfect fit for me. And, and I sold my first horror screenplay. And then I'm, I just got, uh, I just sold my second horror screen, screenplay pitch. So that's what I'm writing in quarantine. And so I've kind of turned myself into like a professional witchy horror gay. That is fantastic. I love all that. That's you answered about twelve of my questions I had ahead of time, so we're just gonna have to jump around here a bit, but I love that. <laughs> uh, well first thing I do want to start with before we get into your writing and career a bit, the reason I know you is because you were a guest on Astro Kiki Radio, which I produced and, and aired on my network here. So I found out you were into tarot and astrology, which I thought is kinda of cool. So I yeah. want to go there a little bit. Talk about your interest in that and how did that come about? Well, I've always been super into witchy stuff and, cre- you know, like my first favorite show was Scooby-Doo when I was like a toddler. Um, and, you know, I, I did grow up in the Pacific Northwest in the 90s. So obviously the craft was a big thing. Everyone who was cool at my junior high was uh, a Wiccan. <laughs> um, so I definitely lived through all of that. And I've honestly kept witchcraft as a part of my life, you know, like in and out of my life throughout all the years. And um, so that's been a big theme. And then probably seven years ago when I was still in my terrible marriage, I remember it was January and we had decided to take a day trip to um, Beacon in upstate New York. And we were all hungover and I happened to buy a tarot deck at a bookshop and, um, 
and then I didn't have anything to do and I was really upset. So I just started really, really, really studying tarot. And um, it's wow. been a big part of my life. I mean, I don't do it professionally, but it's part of my daily life and I do it for friends and it's just something that I really love and it adds um, a lot of beauty and texture to my life. And now that I'm in quarantine, I've been studying astrology. I mean, I've always loved astrology, but now I'm like really, really studying it in earnest. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm in quarantine. I'm also just like aging. And so in the past year, <laughs> I've just really decided to say fuck it and not care what people think of me so much and to just really be full witch in 2020 i mean once there's nothing to lose i, so like it I might as well just be like i used to feel like sort of embarrassed about it or pretend that i liked all these things ironically and the truth is it's not <laughs> ironic i really love this shit and i'm i'm just gonna be my authentic self because let's face it the world is crumbling all around us you might as well live your authentic life there you go. I love that. That's such a true statement. Well, I went in last night and I decided to listen to you and Kyle and your predictions a little bit. And it's weird. You were exactly one year ago next week. You were on that show. And Is so that right? I went and listened. Yeah, it was. It was April 24th of last year. So um, wow. I went last night and looked at it and I listened to it. And it's kind of creepy. I got to tell you. First thing I got to say is you predicted on it that um, in January of 2020, there's going to be a massive event that will impact the entire country. You wow, I did that? Told the thing. You did that. That was really, really trippy, really, really cool. But you said that on the air last year that in January 2020, there's going to be a massive event that's going to affect the entire country which i thought wow mind blown so that is very cool and Weird. then i want to go into some of the predictions from kyle and and see how it kind of lines up with a couple things that i saw okay. um he said i mean this, this was back last year he said things are going to happen every six months but you have a six-month cycle for a while and of course this full year is going to be a second six-month cycle but some, one of the things he said is you're going to start manifesting things in May and start realizing those things in November of last year. So I went through your Twitter feed, and November 1st, you said you were thinking about writing a new play for the first time in a while, which would be that November. Did you happen to do that, or tell me about if that lined I, up? That hasn't lined up, but I did start thinking of a, a movie idea at the end of last year, which I'm now writing. That's what That's my quarantine job. So it could be that. Very, very cool. I like it. And then November 9th, it says you picked up your very first painting and were thinking about getting interested in art. Do you still have an interest in that now? Yes. So I have started collecting art. I'm not buying anything right now because of the quarantine. I just don't know where economically I'll be any time soon. So, um, But, yeah, I've bought a couple of paintings since then. Nice. And then last thing you said in November was you were thinking about starting to do some tarot readings again. And uh, have you? And now it sounds like you're embracing this. Are you thinking about picking that up or are you going to switch over to the astrology? I'm going to do both. I want to combine. I mean, I've been doing a ton of tarot readings, but I want to combine them both and do like them in the same sessions. So I don't really know how that'll look. I think it'll probably look like reading someone's chart. And then, then when they have like a specific question, we could use the tarot to answer those questions. Um, but I, I, I'm not exactly sure yet, but for sure I've been doing a lot of tarot. Nice. So the last thing Kyle said that is 2020 launches a 12 year cycle for you. So I like that you're kind of putting this, you're, you're living your authentic self. So 
kind of wild, kind of wild, kind of witchy. I think you're right on target, my friend. I thought that was fun stuff to listen to. <laughs> yeah, time. I think so too. <laughs> it's funny because 2020, um, I'm a Capricorn and Jupiter has moved in. Jupiter's like the planet of luck and expansion and it's moved into my sign for the first time in a long time. So this is supposed to be like this really lucky, expansive year for me. It certainly doesn't feel that way right now, um, but I'm still keeping my fingers crossed that that comes to fruition. I am with you, brother. We are we are Capricorn buddies. I'm December 30th. What's your birthday? December 21st. Nine days apart. There you go. So, yeah, I'm a Capricorn yeah. as well, and same thing. I was expecting all these big things, but not quite in the way they're panning out yet. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see. It's going to be very interesting indeed. All right, well, that's very cool. I Honestly, I was not into astrology. So it was more fun for me. But ever since producing that show last year, and they did quite a few episodes, I kind of got more and more involved in. And it's it's very cool. It's very interesting to me. And I'm excited that you're kind of doing that again. That's very, very awesome. Yeah. I mean, people will ask me, you know, do you really believe in that stuff? That stuff being tarot, astrology, witchcraft, all that kind of good stuff. And my answer is uniformly like, who cares? What does believe in even mean? The, I right. Mean, we give these things meaning the way that we give anything meaning. I, I just don't, I think that's the, sort of the wrong question. I think that's very well said. Yeah, exactly. Cause I mean, and everyone, like you said, has to live their own truth to it too. So what might be truthful to them might not be to somebody else. So very much. So. Yeah. I agree. These are all tools just to, for exploring ourselves and exploring the people around us. It's not like, you know, it's not as wild and woo woo as people sort of give give it credit for it's just right. it's just a tool for exploring yourself exactly well you mentioned it earlier talk about your interest in the horror genre is it horror and suspense or what kind of draws you to that and uh, what do you like about it i don't know exactly i've always loved horror uh, it was a big problem in my childhood because i wasn't allowed to watch horror movies really and I don't I, I would stay up later than everyone and watch them on cable you know late at night on the summers when I didn't have school or I would sneak them at friends houses and I have memories where I remember being in the car with my mom when I was like maybe 10 and we were about to go to like a you know a family event you know like other families getting together for dinner or who knows what and I remember having her her having a talk with me in the car and, and asking me like please don't talk about horror movies when we get in there <laughs> um so I just like I just always loved them I mean I loved Scooby-Doo and I loved like the gothier kids cartoons when I was very little and I just like always wanted to watch them I, I have really warm memories of them too so like I remember watching Sleepaway Camp or, or Children of the Corn or things like that at, at, at slumber parties so for me those are those 80s ones are like sort of um, uh, a comfort. You know, I've been watching a lot of them in quarantine. I've been watching the old Friday the 13th movies over again. And so for me, they're just really nice. comforting. And I also am just somebody who really likes being scared. I think there's something cathartic. I mean, people like horror movies for a reason, right? And I think the reason is that being scared is somehow cathartic. Like you're releasing your anxiety about the world in a way that is safe. Um, so sure. yeah, I definitely. guess that, I guess that's where I'm coming from. No, that makes sense. I like that. Now, have, 
Do you know Michael Verratti at all? Are you guys kind of connected out there? Oh, yeah, we're friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it seems like you guys would have the same wavelength there. Very cool. <laughs> I had him on the show yeah, last there's definitely week, like a, it was a lot of fun. He's great. There's definitely like a horror gay community in um, Los Angeles. <laughs> Figures. That, that makes sense a bit. Now, you said you started out in New York, and I want to talk about that theater because it is. Playwright is really tough. Um, but L.A., I didn't realize until um, I'm good buddies with Stan Zimmerman, who wrote Golden Girls and Gilmore Girls, all this stuff out there. He's a huge writer for television, but he's got into plays the last three or four years, really getting into directing and writing plays. I didn't know that L.A. was such a theater community. Have you ever thought of writing for theater in L.A. for like fringe festivals and things like that? I haven't really. I'm still sort of um, licking my wounds from theater. It's not like I did badly. Ah. Um, it's just that there's no, there's not a lot of opportunity. And at the same time, television and film pays so well, and it's so much easier to get right. jobs, and and more people see it. So it, it just, um, for me, it's more of the sweet spot right now. That said, it is a time when there are so many playwrights in Los Angeles making television because it's so lucrative and it's so fulfilling. So I see playwright colleagues on the street randomly basically every week or I did before quarantine, you know? And and then the other thing is like, this is the era of peak TV. And part of the reason that TV got so good is because they started hiring more playwrights to write it. Television is a um, character driven medium as opposed to film, which is visually driven. So um, playwrights I think are, in some respects better TV writers than screenwriters are or people who train traditionally as screenwriters just because playwrights are used to writing from a place that's more character driven. So, you know, shows like Mad Men and the Sopranos and things like that, that started this era of television. They in some ways feel a lot more like plays or indie movies than they do traditional features. So, um, I think a lot of what's good about TV has to do with the fact that so many playwrights started coming to, tel- to, to television in Los Angeles. <laughs> that makes sense. I like that. Okay, very cool. And I love the titles. You said, I didn't know that Milk Milk Lemonade was such a hit. Maybe you should do that at Fringe or something. But The Sluts of Sutton and Chalk Boy, you get some great titles, some interesting work. I was kind of reading through some of the biographies of all those. Um, where do you find all your inspirations from? Do they just come to you? Is it uh, through friends? The family, where do, where do you find a lot of your inspiration? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I'm referencing pop culture. And for me, um, that often comes from forgotten pop culture or obscure pop culture. So, for instance, the, the Sluts of Sutton Drive was a play that was inspired by this little-known now 70s sitcom called Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, about um, Ooh, yeah. a housewife that's having a nervous breakdown um, because of media influence, which is like a really funny, really dark, really weird show that I was obsessed with um, back then. And so that kind of was what influenced the Sluts of Sutton Drive. So I feel like every play, every script is kind of a pastiche or a collage of random little influences, both pop cultural and personal. So it always, nice. always feels a little bit like collage work. Yeah. That was that was great TV back then. That's when soap was around and everything else. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. They had a lot of really great writing and shows back then. I agree. 100% God, it's so on good. That. Oh, it was. I'm telling you, I'm old enough to remember it. So uh, I was. I'm, I'm old. So yeah, I, I saw all that stuff, and I was a huge TV TV fan forever. 
Um, let's go back to curmudgeon a bit. Um, I was thinking of sending you a plant for being on the show, but that's out after watching that show. Uh, but anyway, um, talk about, I thought it was, it's very much your vibe that I get from you following your Twitter feed and everything kind of has that really kind of hard edge to it, but a kind of a sweet stuff underneath. Talk about what, what brought that on? What was the inspiration for that? I know, you, I know you said it was like for Danny or someone or for somebody, to David or someone at the end. Well, actually, I mean, so here's the funny thing about curmudgeons is that most of my writing is like spooky or, or a bit weirder than that is. It's a very sweet little movie. And if I'm being honest, it comes from a really manipulative place. So I belong to the theater company <laughs> called Ensemble Studio Theater in New York that has a really famous short play festival every year called the Marathon. And I can never get in because my plays were just kind of too weird. And so at some point I was like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write this incredibly mainstream um <laughs> sort of a heart stringy play and then they're going to let me in and it worked and curmudgeons was the play that I wrote and um I actually am really proud of it and it ended up being something that's really truthful to me but the it comes from a place that's really manipulative and then <laughs> I was being like sort of a dick about it, it. like I'm going to I mean, I'm going to write this mainstream you know heart stringy piece of shit and they're going <laughs> to let me into their festival and that's where it came from but it, you know that's where it started. That's not where it ended. It is something that's really meaningful and truthful to me, but it comes from like a place. I'm just wanting to be accepted for once. Well, it, it is, it's a beautiful story. And I guess you had to be really proud of Danny's direction in it. I mean, that was, was it a surprise? Were you stay on set with it while it was going on or did you get to see it for the first time, the finished product? How did you kind no, of experience the film? I was on set. I was on set for it. Uh, we shot it in New York at a retirement center in Brooklyn. And um, I was on set for the whole thing. Lucy DeVito, his daughter, is, is one of my best friends. and She's in the movie. And, and then David Margulies, the other lead, um, he was in the play version of it. So I knew him from that. And he and Danny are actually... Funny as hell. Were, funny as hell. He, he was an amazing <laughs> actor. So they were friends from like the 60s doing theater together and David, of course, is like a great character actor. He was the mayor in Ghostbusters and, and things like that. Um, Curmudgeons was actually his last film. He was really sick shooting it. And so he passed away during post. Um, he was Aww. able to see the movie. Danny, Danny literally brought a laptop to his essentially deathbed at the hospital and showed him the movie. And he was really proud of it. And then um, he passed away before the film premiered at Tribeca. So it's really special oh, in that wow. regard, too, just because... David sure. meant so much to all of us and was such a legendary theater actor. And um, yeah. And then when it premiered at Tribeca, so David Margulies, his partner was the actress, Lois Smith, a wonderful character actress. And so she, we brought her to the Tribeca film festival premiere too, so that she could see David um, in the movie. And so it was just a really special experience for a lot of reasons. Wow. It sounds that that's so great. And I love that you, Keep it public. If people go to your Instagram, they can go ahead and, and, and find the link there. So very cool. Um, give your give your your Instagram now, and then we'll say it again at the end. What's your Instagram? Uh, you can look up my name, I guess, which is Joshua Conkle, but I think it's JoshCon80. That's what I think it is. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, J-O-S-H-C-O-N-80. Well, I, I thought it was great. I mean, like I said, I watched it, and I thought it was amazing. 
I love the sight gag with the plants, especially at the end. I mean, this the whole thing was so well done, and uh, it's it's exactly what it, it claims to be. So, good on you, my friend. Good writing. I like that. Manipulative Thank or not, you. you hit it out of the park. <laughs> we'll talk about this foyer into Netflix then. Um, how did that job come about over at Series of Unfortunate Events, and what what was that like to go to? I mean, this is. A couple of years back, they were still huge already then. Talk about going into that type of a company to work with. Was there any apprehensions? Was everything you hoped it would be? Talk about that. Experience. No, I mean, I interviewed for that job from an ad agency in New York. So I had to, like, sneak into a conference room to, like, take a Skype call. Um, so a series of unfortunate events I got because I, I started on season two and wrote for seasons two and three. I don't know what happened, but season one, they fired all of the writers or they quit except for one writer <laughs> who's named Joe Trace. Joe Trace is a playwright, now a TV guy, did in one of his plays like many years before Series of Unfortunate Events happened. So he thought of me when they were looking to staff for season two. So through Joe Trace, I got an interview with Daniel Handler, who's, who's Lemony Snicket. Um, and that happened, you know, via Skype while I was sneaking into a conference room at the ad agency. And so that's how I got wow. that job. And and um, it was a very untraditional writer's room because it was all done remotely. Daniel Handler, when he took over the show in season two, decided that he wanted to have only a couple of writers instead of a full room. So there were three of us, all first-time TV writers, and we would meet at his house in San Francisco for two weeks at a time. And tradition, you know, like just like you would expect from Lemony Snicket, Daniel lives in this like sort of Victorian. Uh, house at the top of the hill and we would just sit in his dining room and listen to the cure and write lemony snicket and then he would make us french onion soup for lunch and then we'd go on hikes and he would make us all a manhattan at the end of the day take us to really fancy um, restaurants at night and plays around san francisco and then we would do that for two weeks and then go home for two weeks and then go back to san francisco for two weeks and that's how we did the that show for a year and a half and um you know it was it was a really amazing experience. I'm, I'm really grateful uh, for that. That sounds absolutely amazing. I love that story. And then Sabrina absolutely loved the show. I remember before it got picked up, there was all this controversy. Is it going to be in the Archie lore? Is it going to be this horror thing that kind of had a little bit of it, the beginnings for it? Uh, talk about the origin of that and what was talked about before you guys started writing it. So Sabrina, I actually – tweeted at some point I was like Netflix made a big mistake not hiring me for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina um, <laughs> because they, oh, they did I didn't know that. I was the last writer yeah I was the last writer they hired the room was up and running for like two months before I got hired um, so Roberto Aguirre Sacasa who's my boss um, he's the showrunner of Sabrina and Riverdale he is a playwright as well and he many, many years ago, wrote a play that satirized the Archie comics, and he actually got a cease and desist letter from Archie. Um, and now he's the creative director of Archie. So he's been sort of, he's had this whole journey of becoming the uh, sort of creative brain behind the Archie universe. So, of course, there's Riverdale, which is the Archie comics, and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is the Riverdale uh, sister show. Um, he's a big horror person, and he wanted to see if he could take the character of Sabrina and bring it to this more sort of like throwback horror, Rosemary's Baby, The Omen kind of place. Um, so I think that that 
was the start of it. Also, you know, it was a comic book before it was a show. So the comic book, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, already existed. Uh, talk about what it's like in the writer's room. Is it very collaborative? This, it sounds like this is more of a typical writer's room type thing. Is it a collaborative process? Do you have certain characters you focus on, or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, um, Sabrina has a more traditional writer's room than uh, Series Unfortunate Events did. You know, we have an office in Hollywood. There are about 10 of us. Um, and Roberto's at the end of the table, and we basically pitch ideas to him. He lays out, like, sort of a rough outline of what he wants the show to look like episode over over episode and, and throughout the season, and we kind of right. pitch. Uh, he's a really warm and funny boss. He he tries to make the room feel safe and, and enjoyable and, and friendly. Another thing about Sabrina that's interesting is, for me, is that the whole writer's room is only women and gay men. So it has a sort of sensibility to it that that I think shows up on the show. It's a very queer show without being, you know, explicitly queer. And that also helps it feel safe for me because I'm not, I mean, frankly, I, I don't always feel safe and comfortable around groups of straight men. So I've been really grateful for that. Um, but basically, gotcha. you know, you're sitting at a table with writers and you pitch ideas and the show sort of comes together via outlines and then you get assigned an episode and you write that episode and then you turn it into Roberto and he rewrites you. And so that gives the show sort of like a uniformity of voice uh, episode over episode. And, and that's kind of how it, it gets made. And then you go to Vancouver and produce your episodes. So you're there on set when they shoot your episode and you get to be with the actors and the directors. And that's really fun. And um, yeah, it's, it's a really pleasurable experience. It's a great job. I feel really lucky. It's a lot easier than advertising. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I bet. Well, it is extremely well written. I love it that uh, I've been following it from the very beginning, and good on you for that. Talk about other shows out there right now. Is there anything you like um, that just to binge for pure pleasure or that you think is well written out there, kind of along those genres? I'm trying to get into Fort Salem. I'm having, It was a little chopped at first, um, kind of getting there. What are you looking at right now? Anything in that genre at all? Um. You know, to be honest, I I, uh, I I'm not a big fan of the horror genre shows that are out there right now. The one that I just watched that I'm really late on because it's already off the air is um, Penny Dreadful, uh, which I oh, really yeah. enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I you know I'm in a, professionally I can't talk shit about other horror shows, so I'll just say that Penny Dreadful is my favorite of the others. Um, <laughs> But other than that, I watch the same things that other people do, right? Like, I love Fleabag. I love um, – what have I watched recently? God, I'm drawing a blank. Fleabag is the thing that comes to mind that I really love. Um, and I'm watching uh, Making the Cut on Amazon, the new Project Runway. So, How are you? How is that? I, I used to love Project Runway. It's but I really good. I, it feel, it's really good. It, it, it's, it's different. It feels like um, – all the money in the world, but no plan. It feels like Heidi and Tim are just kind of like winging it. <laughs> That's so hilarious. Oh my kind God. Of wild I have to check it regard. out. Yeah. It's I pretty have wild. to check um, it out. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, when it comes to the horror genre, I, I tend to go to movies and not television. I think horror is hard for television because you can't sustain dread over five seasons. So you kind of have to go right. into a soapy direction. Um, which is good, and I like that. But my favorites probably are like True Blood and Buffy. 
if I'm looking at the, the oh, wholeness Buffy. of all time or in dark or dark shadows. Buffy be the one. I don't know if they could do it as good as that was written, but uh, oh, I'd love to see Buffy. I back think again. that they That's are redoing thing. it. I think it's are in the work. I did not hear that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I saw it on Deadline maybe a year or two ago. I don't know if it's still happening, but it certainly was. And then they're also redoing Dark Shadows. CW is doing it, which I would kill to write for. It's one of my favorite shows. I never got in the original. I had to get into the reboot of it, and uh, it made me fall in love with the Greystone Mansion in Beverly Hills that I go to all the time whenever I go to L.A. Because um, <laughs> it was shot there. But, yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a great show. I, I only saw the reboot. I really haven't seen the original. But, uh, yeah, it's a great show. I didn't know they bring that. So a third time on that. That's nice. The, yeah. the characters are excellent. Very cool. What do you think of new format, this whole Quibi thing going on, 10-minute format thing? Do you, do you think it's going to be a wave of the future? Do you think it's going to be a short end run? I I don't feel optimistic for Quibi. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit careful because I don't, like, please do hire me to write a Quibi show, Quibi. I would love to. Um, <laughs> there you go. You know, it only has like 250,000 subscribers right out of the gate, which is not very many at all. And I, uh, people, I don't know. I mean, Netflix has already started doing short form content with shows like Special and and there's a couple of others. And, um, you know, there's web series on YouTube. I just feel like I I don't feel optimistic that people want to pay for that specific kind of content because they already get it for free or they get it on other platforms that they're already paying for. And then right. uh, maybe I'm not the demo. I don't like to watch things on my phone. I want to watch them on television or at least my laptop. So Quibi doesn't allow for that. You can literally only watch it on your phone. You can't mirror it to your television or anything like that. So I don't feel very optimistic right. for them. Hi, I was, I was wondering to get your kind of a dumb I feel the same way. I mean, from a writing aspect, I'm sure it's different. You always want to write whatever you can write. If you find some good stuff, it's great. But I'm kind of feeling the same way. Um, I... I'm older, so I don't like the way things are getting smaller from a movie screen to a big screen TV to a computer to a phone. I just want to see stuff blown up and big. I just enjoy it more. And uh, I was disappointed on the sign-up for, especially when they're giving away three months for free. I thought it would be a lot more for the couple hundred thousand they have. I kind of felt they're in trouble when they had Reese Witherspoon do actual Instagram lives to try to promote it. <laughs> but okay, they, they, they're pulling yeah. all the stops there. So uh, who knows? All right, very interesting. I'm glad to have your take on that. I did read a lot of reviews about the content when it first launched, and what critics seemed to say, as far as I could tell, was that it was pretty fun for unscripted material, like Chrissy Teigen's Judge show and, and stuff like that. But for scripted, it felt right. like they had, a ways, they had a ways to go. All right, we got to start wrapping this up, Josh. Any other projects on your radar that you can talk about or anything that you would like to see in the future uh, yourself doing or talk about your movies, where, where those are at again? You said they're in development right now or at least getting ready to yeah, the Yeah, the one that I just sold, um, actually sold it to Danny DeVito. Uh, it, it doesn't have a title yet, but it's a gay haunted house story. Basically, a gay couple moves into a haunted house and the ghost is an old... Um, gay serial killer that has his eye on one of the couple and not the other. So um, that's what I'm writing right now and hopefully you'll get to see it in like two years. We'll see. Well, Joshua Conkle, it's been great to talk to you this afternoon. Thanks so much for coming on the Lefty Straight Show. Give everyone where they can find you, either website or social media, whatever there. How can they uh, find your great stuff? And definitely follow the Twitter because it's hilarious. 
Yeah, that's where I'm most active is Twitter, which is just at my name, at Joshua Conkle. And then, uh, as we talked about earlier, you can find me on Instagram, at Con80, and I have a website, joshuaconkle.com, which, like, that's just for information. Don't try to contact me there because I won't get it. Very good. Well, Josh, thanks so much for being on the show. Stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to play out a little music here, and I'll be back in just a little bit. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Oh
All righty, guys and gals, we are back. That was Brandon Stansell with Top Shelf. Brandon, now living in West Hollywood, originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And speaking of Tennessee, guys, I have two great guests for you coming on the show now. Uh, one has been away for far too long since we checked in on him. He was the first one to record his HIV diagnosis and upload it to YouTube over 12 years ago. He's taken that diagnosis and turned into some amazing advocacy through his blog, speaking engagements, podcasts, and more. He has never given up the fight. He's now helping us get through the coronavirus as well as his other great information on his podcast, LGBTQ Health News with Josh Robbins. Friends, please welcome back to the show, the handsome, the informative, and the advocate, Mr. Josh Robbins. Josh, how you doing, buddy? I am doing so well, and I uh, thank you so much for having me have on. You know, for having me on the show again. It's always a pleasure and a blast, and you always make me blush. So, <sighs> well, we had a great and informative interview, and it's been a couple of years now. I can't believe it's been that long, but I'm so happy to have you on. And you are bringing a special guest with you. We haven't talked in so long. You are engaged now. Mr. Jeffrey, how the heck are you? I'm great. So we've been doing all kind of fun stuff. Uh, but, you know, because of the coronavirus, we're all stuck inside. So every other day we decide to take like a big shopping trip to Walmart. And so today was there the Walmart day. So now we have nothing to do for, you know, a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I like it. Well, if you weren't engaged before, you'd be either engaged or not want to see each other after sure. Corona 2020 is a little strange stuff, my friend. Yeah. Did you see that in uh, China? They have all these divorces happening after people have been, you know, stuck together, married couples. I heard that. I don't know what's going to happen here, but yeah, it, it's, it's a little crazy time. Well, congratulations. I want to talk to you. We're going to get to your podcast in a bit. We're going to talk about all the, your great advocacy you were doing, but I want to talk about this engagement. I was so excited to hear about it, and congratulations again to you both. I think you popped the question, right, Josh? Tell me about that. Yeah, look at me, just being like the little superstar. Um, anyway, we've been dating <laughs> for <laughs> for a while at the end of last year, and uh, we took a trip actually down to Florida. My mom had just moved to Florida. Wait, where Naples. Yeah, Naples. And I kind of took him to the beach because he wanted to see the beach that night. And it was raining. I like, I know it wasn't like the best thing ever, but it was raining. And uh, I like literally had to force him to get out of the car. I did not want to get out in the rain. Uh, he did not want to get out in the rain. Uh, but I forced him to get out and we walked up to the edge and I said something. I, I don't even remember exactly what I said before I started proposing. But I said something like, you know, you mean the world to me. Is that what I said? Something like that. And Down on his knee, he can get it out. I said, hell yeah. Well, yeah, he interrupted <laughs> the question. You're kidding. You have this big buildup and you and can't so get I had it to out? Tell him that, well, yeah, I, told, I had to tell him to, you know, shut up and let me finish asking, <laughs> which then he replied, hell yeah. And uh, it was great. It was a good moment. It was raining on the beach, but um, – yeah, it was a good moment, and and then he was not smiling the rest of the trip. I mean, it was great. Oh, man, I love that. I love the most that Jeffrey had to tell you where your mama moved to. That's kind of fun. But <laughs> let's get into um, He's from Florida, where though, did you so like, meet and what made you fall in love with Jeffrey, Josh? Well, what made me fall in love? Have you seen his photos? 
Well, I have, but there's more than that, I am sure. No, no, yeah, of course there is. I'm just kidding. Uh, so I tell you, yeah, no, um, Jeffrey was somebody that I met. Uh, well, he kind of pursued me at first. He saw some videos, right? You saw? Yeah, I saw videos online, and I had to meet him. <laughs> he saw some of these, like, <laughs> online videos. So I was, but I didn't know that at first. Um, anyway, we had, you know, social media or something, and the first time we met, I was a few minutes late. A few minutes, two hours. <laughs> I was oh, my hours goodness. <laughs> I waited. <laughs> you did wait. Uh, so he waited on me, and the, as soon as I drove up and I saw him for the first time, he was, like, waiting outside on the porch, which was kind of, like, endearing and cute and humble. And, uh, you know, I'm, like, so jaded now. But uh, I, like, drove up, <laughs> and I was, like – I mean, I think I literally ran from my car to the front door without trying to be running because I was so excited. <laughs> to like, yeah, because he was so hot. And and then, you know, we uh, the first time that we bow chicka wow wowed, that was awesome. <laughs> nice. And uh, and then I learned more about him, and he's somebody that has never given up, and he's gone through some really tough circumstances and situations in the past five or six years. But he is—he has—he is somebody that I think has one of the best hearts of anyone that I've ever met, and I've told him that that he became my best friend, and and he's my lover, and and he was also my fantasy. I mean, when you think about your fantasy of the person that you want to like be with and have sex with and and live with and love, you know, like he's that person. And um, and people have always told me in the past, like when you know, you know. And I was like, right. well, you know, that really doesn't make sense, but it really does um, when it actually happens. And I think I told you the first day that I met you that I said something like, I'm going to marry you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you told me you were going to marry me. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. And you do have a great story to tell, Jeffrey. I want to get into that in a second. But same question to you. What was it about Josh that made you think, oh, yeah, this might be the one here? Josh makes me feel special. And nobody's ever been able to do that before. Yeah. Aww. I mean, of course I he's love hot. It. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but he has a huge heart. He's my best friend. I knew that day as well. You no, you know. didn't. I knew. I knew. <laughs> no, he didn't know. Let me tell you. He would. He went like for I don't know a month or something before he accidentally said I love you. Like he, I was leaving his house or or whatever, and I got almost got into the car. And what did you say? I said I love you, and then I caught myself and turned around and tried to say I meant I love you as a friend. I'm not in love with you. <laughs> yeah. He started trying to explain love to me and like that he wasn't oh in love, God. but he loved me. But it wasn't like his mama and him like love. I was like, this is bizarre. I just kind of smiled, but I think I drove home, probably the cockiest driver out there, because I was like, yeah, he want to kiss me. He want to marry me. He loves me. <laughs> well, you guys, I am so excited for you. You are both handsome as hell, so I knew that was going to be part of it, but I'm glad you got to explore each other's hearts. And I got to talk to Jeffrey. Josh alluded to it. You've had some struggles, my friend. I mean, let's get into this. If you don't mind sharing with my audience for a second, talk about a little bit of what happened to you and how you're coming out of it now on the other side. Okay, let's see. I was 
selling prescription pills, going across state lines, and well, so real quick, he he also he had uh, let, let him just tell you the pain pills, like the regimen when he was nineteen, what he was on. It's crazy, and it kind of sets up the whole picture of of what happened. So I got in a car okay. accident. I messed my back up. It wasn't messed up to the point that I needed to be on fentanyl patches with oxycodone, Xanax um, bars. Wow. It was a whole slew of medicine, way too much for somebody my age. But I, but obviously my body became dependent on it. They don't tell you when they prescribe them to you that you're going to have to take them every day in two weeks to function daily. I was charged for selling two pills, and i done 40, 54 months in federal prison. What's that, like four, five years, four months? Four and a half years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, four and a half years. That's crazy. Four and a half years. He sold two pills. Four it was a state line since it was a felony. It, wow, that's uh, got to be – talk about that. How, did that. how does that make you feel going in at that young of age and, and, and having to spend that time in there? How did you get through that? Uh, you have no choice but to get through it. Um, it was hard at first, but after – I got a routine of what I did, the same thing every single day, and the time just kind of goes. (laughs) I worked out every day. I took classes. I did everything there was to possibly do in there to make the time go by. It definitely changed me. (laughs) I have a very different outlook on life now, and I appreciate all the small things so much more. (laughs) I bet that also, like you said, you took the time to improve yourself. A lot of people can go in and just give up. You were improving both your body and your mind, taking classes. That's pretty admirable, my friend. Yeah, a lot of people go in and they get out and do the same thing and go right back. I'm never going back there. <laughs> That's not for me. Let me say this. It's, what is crazy for me, just as an advocate, is that I didn't realize that, you know, I've always realized that people have, they all are, de- everybody's dealing with something. Okay, even the people that look like they got it all together, they don't, right? They everybody's got right. something that we're dealing with. But in this context of like having been convicted of a felony and spending time in federal prison, which I can't even imagine, when he came out, like it's like the prison stuff doesn't end. Um it, it's hard it's really hard for him to like get a job. Uh the job choices that are out there are terrible and they can work you like a dog. And you can get in trouble right. if you don't have a job. And so, like, can you vote now? Vote. I can't carry a firearm. Yeah. He completed his sentence, but he still can't have all of these rights that other Americans have. And he is required to pay taxes. It's just crazy. It's a crazy system. Right. And now anyone that's busted with marijuana is getting it all expunged for no apparent reason. And this is two pills. So it's like it's such a lopsided justice system out there. Yeah, and it was nothing, like, violent at all. It, it's just crazy. But, you know, what's crazy for me was that I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that I had stigma in my own life um, where I had, would make comments like, did felons, oh, those are convicted felons. I didn't realize that I was really, like, ignorant about what these people had gone through in my own life, and it really made me, like, sit down and look, look myself in the mirror and be like, man, like, I need to get get myself right in this aspect, and then also, um, like Jeffrey needs to tell his story. Like he needs to talk right. about this because I don't think people know what it's like. He spent what two and a half months in ice in isolation. What's it called? Yeah, it's called the hole. 
it's a pretty much eight by twelve room. It's a little cell. You get out for one hour a day, and they let you go outside into a little dog cage to get fresh air. The rest of the wow. time, you you and the four walls. And so it taught me a lot that I need to deal with in my own life to make sure that I'm like not being prejudice against these individuals that have completed their sentences and paid their debt, but also after they get out, that they're prepared to come back to the, like to society. And so that's why you see a lot of, you know, people that uh, have come out of incarceration, that they become a repeat offender and, and yeah, it's all they know. And it's weirdly, what did you say? It's like, it's like a home, like it becomes like family. Like yeah, when you left, you're, when you're around the same people every day for years, um, it it becomes your family pretty much. Um, you right. know everything there is to know about people, but it's sad because you go to prison and they don't really have a lot of options for you to better yourself. So people get out and do all they know and then end up going back. Well, but he's not going to go back. And tell me about your support system, Jeffrey. Were you did you have a support system? Did friends and relatives keep reaching out to you, or were you isolated even more while you were there? Oh yeah, my friends and family—they were definitely there for me. Beautiful. I had a great support system the whole time I was in there. That's a good thing to hear. I think that's an important part of it too. A lot of people are just kind of thrown away, and and you can't help but come out jaded and go back to the same thing. I think it's important. Um, and I think that's why we need to have prison reform says we have to have people going into the prisons and kind of making sure that we're advocating for these people. So um, I know it's, it was physical attraction that brought you together, but with uh, Josh's great work in advocacy, I think you guys were meant for bigger things down the line here, both of you. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's still a little shy, uh, but uh, he is somebody that, that makes me want to stand taller and and I smile bigger, and his heart is so big that it makes me want to love more. And he was just kind of tearing up telling the story to you because this is the first time that he's been able to share his story with anybody besides, you know, the the small group of people that knew. So, yeah, thanks for, like, listening to him and, and um, inviting us on. Well, it's my pleasure. And, Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with my listeners. I know it's not an easy thing to do. If anyone wanted to reach out to you on social media or anything, if someone wanted to talk to you about your story and maybe get a little help in their own life, are you on social media or anywhere they can reach out to you? Or are you kind of getting your head straight still and waiting to do that? Oh, no. I'm on social media. I'm on all of Josh's stuff pretty much, um, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. So J-Mac Rob, so J-M-A-C-K-R-O-B-B is his uh this is like profile names, usernames, all that good stuff. Super duper. Well, listeners, if you want to talk more to Jeffrey about this, if you're going through, if you have a friend or family or relative going through this, you can hear it straight from the horse's mouth, man. This is a guy that went to prison, federal prison, for two pills he sold. It just happened to be across the state line. And now he's living those repercussions, but he has found love he has found friendship and he has found a purpose with josh and jeffrey i appreciate you coming on the left of straight show my friend oh thank you i appreciate you having me all right well i'm looking forward to meeting once we can get out of our corona 2020 quarantine here uh, i just I know, had right? a uh, very good friend move down to nashville so we're going to be uh, able to see each other sometime very soon one of these days i appreciate that yeah that's cool uh where are you located again 
I've been banished to Northeast Ohio. I was born and raised in Southern California, and they sent me packing to Northeast Ohio for the last 20 years. Yeah, and they kept you? Ohio kept you up there. That's good. They did. I wasn't able to escape. It's a black hole. I'm telling you this. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, are you staying healthy through all this uh, coronavirus stuff? I am. You know, I am a caregiver for my 81-year-old mother, so I've had someone to kind of hang with. I I take care of her. Luckily, she is very healthy, but she is 81 years old. So um, we've kept her in the house for about four or five weeks now. And I've stayed in the house because Ohio has had a very proactive governor and uh, been pretty good about mm-hmm. the social stuff. And I think that's uh, important. I don't agree with him mm-hmm. politically, but I agree with everything he's done during Corona. And I'm doing my best to stay healthy. I go, I'm, I'm a person, not a good homebody. So I've been making yeah. sure I social distance, but I take a drive and I go to, there's lots of lakes nearby that are pretty empty. And I take my walks around the lakes or parks or something when I know no one else is there. And that's keeping me mentally healthy as well. How about you guys? How you guys? Yeah, doing? you know, like I have never been a person that loved to go on walks, but in the past month, um, with social isolation, separation, like uh, Jeffrey loves to go on a walk every day. Like he will, ju- it clears his mind and that sort of thing. He can think. Well, he started, you know, I started tagging along for some of these walks, and they've been some of the funnest, like most chill free, not spending any money, time, and we do a lot of talking when we go on these huge walks. We ha- we have those, like, define the relationship, relationship, relationship talks. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nice. But it's been um, really cool. I've learned a lot more about him that, you know, if the world had not have paused or, you know, slowed down, that there have been some things that I, that I wouldn't have known probably. Well, that's great. I'm so happy for finding someone like that. I mean, you are such a fantastic person to begin with. Those of you guys that missed uh, your coming out story, Josh, and your amazing video, please check the Left of Straight archives and we'll give uh, Josh's website at the end. It's an amazing video. Can you believe it's been like eight years later? Talk about that. Um, when you look back on that journey, what's it feel like? Yeah, well, it doesn't feel like eight years. Um, luckily, like my health is actually, I just got back my, my CD4 count and uh, and my viral load is, of course, undetectable. My CD4 count is the highest. So that's the healthy, uh, that's the healthy workers that you have in your blood and in your body to kind of fight off feeling bad and infection and all that. So I have the highest number of CD4 count that I've ever had since diagnosed currently. And uh, I feel great, and I mean, I need to lose probably uh, uh, 10 pounds or something, but it's just because... Uh, Don't we all? After this, I make know, it 15, it's always buddy. something. After this, make it 15, I'm telling you. That's all I'm doing is cooking and eating right now. It's horrible. Yeah, I know. I hear you. I'm the, he just made a cake. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> I'm going to eat it because and, that's what, you know, the nice fiance does. But I'm doing it for you, not you for go. me. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to hear that you're, you're so healthy. Talk about how the stigmas change over the eight years or have it, has it. Um, how are you feeling now compared to then? Yeah, well, let me say this, that um, and, and meeting Jeffrey is a, is a really good example of how stigma is being decreased. It's not everywhere. It's not everybody, and and we all know who those types of people are. But um, yeah, the stigma has decreased since I was first diagnosed. But like uh, when I met Jeffrey, is something like 
I had to kind of bring up, but he already knew because he had seen videos, he said. But I had to bring it up, and his reply was, yeah, I don't care about that. That's cool. And it wasn't because he wasn't scared. He was just educated, and it wasn't something uh, undetectable that would uh, affect him. And so I think the, the information and that, me- and that message, really, that campaign, that global movement about undetectable equals untransmittable and you equals you, I think it is right. – you know, slowly starting to creep into everybody. But when people get it and they understand what that message is and, and the, what it means that there's no risk for them uh, in a sexual context, then, yeah, I think a lot of people's fears kind of chill. Um, it's just unfortunate I see some of that same kind of fear that I read about back in the early days of the 80s that we're starting to see with some of this corona stuff. And, you know, you just got to fight that or any kind of like uh, – Laws against, you know, I think I've seen some laws with transmission of coronavirus that are just ridiculous. Uh, and so, you know, it, it is, I, it, there has been a reduction in stigma. I just hope we're not passing that other stigma on to something else, you know. Right, exactly, exactly. Well said. Uh, and it is it is a big testament to Jeffrey, too, because as you said, he met you through videos before is why he reached out to you. I mean, you've been openly HIV positive and not hiding it for eight years now. And just to I want to go out and meet this person because I like this person has nothing to do with with his uh, what what he's at as far as um, diseases or anything or what. We've learned so much. I, you know, to be honest, I don't even know that he watched the actual context of the videos. He just saw me, and he was like, hey. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He, well, that, there's that, too. Like I said, you're both handsome as hell, so I, no, I do I'm understand. just kidding. That. He is, you know, <laughs> usually, I mean, I definitely feel like that I am, uh, you know, going to marry up, uh, certainly, <laughs> with, with him beside me. But um, his heart is the best thing about him, and his listeners. Well, let's talk about PrEP for a second because there's still a lot of false stuff, I think, going on about that. Talk about what you think the important points that listeners need to know about PrEP and what what still surprises you that you hear that's patently false. Yeah, so I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of confusion on when somebody should be on PrEP and when they shouldn't. Um, let me just start by saying again and reminding the listeners that I am an advocate and I'm somebody that believes that I'm an expert in my own health care, and, uh, and I'm responsible for just me. So um, anything that I give is, you know, not a doctor's recommendation, but you should talk to your doctors. Sure. Uh, Jeffrey's a good example. So he's negative. He is, and he said that I could share that with you guys, um, but he's negative. He's not on prep, and he doesn't feel like he needs to be at the moment uh, because we I'm undetectable. And uh, so if I wasn't undetectable and there was a risk, then it would be something for that would make sense for him to consider. Uh, so for us at the moment, it's the best kind of path that he wants. If he wants to take PrEP, I don't care. But if he doesn't have to take a pill every day like I do, then then I would love for him not to. But in that same context, I, I have a lot of responsibility to make sure I go to the doctor and uh, take care of you know, what's going on in my body and, you know, keep it under control. And then uh, that's all I can do. I have personal responsibility for me. He has personal responsibility for himself. Other people with 
that want to get on PrEP, I don't think there should be any roadblocks at all for people that want to get on PrEP. Uh, it is very effective at prevention, uh, just like anybody that's diagnosed with you know, HIV. They, there should be no roadblocks to those people getting on medication and controlling their virus. So, you know, it's, I think right now we're in a, a spot where several years ago we didn't have the nonprofits or the peer navigators that would help people get this access to the medication that they needed. Those people are in place. Those programs are there. The programs still need to reach the, the most highly at-risk individuals and in marginalized communities, uh, and those include, you know, African-American gay men um, and Latinos, gay men and bi men. Like, so, like, these marginalized groups really need focus, and I think that it's going to require some really out-of-the-box thinking. Um, when we've got the same kind of channels that PrEP messaging is pushing through, there's obviously a demographic that is not being reached by those channels, so we need to go in alternate ways to, to kind of get messaging out to them. And we need to go to the community and let the community decide how to message their own community. Uh, that, that's what I think. Very well said. I like that. And like you did say, prep is a commitment. I mean, you're supposed you need to take those pills every day, right? It's it's if you're going to do it, you need to do it right. And people need to learn about the ins and outs of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you got to do what your your doctor says. But uh, there is some new research that is promising that's coming out with some long acting injectables that may help with people that have adherence issues. Um, if you have adherence issues, I, I made a song that is terrible, but it's so great. Uh, it's on <laughs> iTunes and it's called uh, what is it? What is it? Take your pill every day. <laughs> Take your pill every day. Uh, original, like original. I like it. An original piece yeah. by Josh Robbins. It's Very like cool. Pharma <laughs> cha cha slide or something. Anyway, like right. I just made that song so I would remember to take my pill every day. Um, right. But I think there's some other stuff that are that's going to be coming out soon. Hopefully that will help with adherence for people. Great. And let's talk about your podcast. Uh, I mean, I love it. LGBTQ Health News with Josh Robbins. You're you're doing quick bites, giving some great information. Talk about what made you decide to start doing that. Well, to be honest, I uh, started, you know, I've always liked MTV News with Kurt Loder. You remember that TV show? I sure do, yeah. Yeah, where he you'd be watching like music videos or MTV, and then Kurt Loder's show, this MTV News with Kurt Loder, would pop in from commercial, do like a one, two, or three minute little news bit, and then they would it would be back to regular programming, and it was it wasn't really disruptive uh, to your day or to your show. It's just informative, and it kind of fit in, and so I. You know, I love long uh, form podcasts like you do. I mean, you're incredible. Uh, I am not somebody that can commit to to that type of production and show. And I wanted to do something that kind of fits with my attention span, which is one to three minutes, and uh, <laughs> and but still give information and be cool. Well, it's so, very cool. I listen to them all, and there's some great tips on there. And it, it, they are they are very informative, my friend. So good on you for doing that. Um, Talk about, are you still doing your speaking engagements? Do you still have some agencies you're partnering up with? What are you doing these days to keep yourself active? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I am working on a a couple different projects that are kind of cool. I am uh, 
there was a conference coming out with uh, Janssen and Johnson and Johnson medical devices. It's called Healthy Voices, and so it's health advocates of all health conditions that are going to be online for like a virtual conference. So I'm going to be hosting that at the end of this month. Uh, and there is uh, something I started last year that was really cool. It's called uh, Health Advocate Day. So it's an awareness day just to celebrate people uh, and peers on social media that advocate for other health conditions. And uh, I think that's really important. You know, my mom with MS and, you know, cancer survivors and people that are dealing with, you know, testicular cancer. I mean, just health, diabetes. I mean, there's an MS. There's that's an great. entire list of people online that are just like me, but they're advocating for their own health condition or something that they're, you know, dealing with. And, and so I just created a day last year because those people have never really been patted on the back as a whole. And so I had this idea for Health Advocate Day, and it took off. And uh, I was blown away. Year one, we had, like, uh, over, like, 2 million impressions in 12 hours on social media, 500,000 accounts, like, reached that day. So it was, like, insane numbers. But it was just because these people are the real influencers. We talk about influencers online. When you get to health advocate influencers, those people are the, they are the most committed, weathered, um, and thankful people that, that I've ever met. And they're all inspiring. And so I just wanted to create a day to just celebrate those people, speak life to them, and also, you know, virtually pat them on the back. And so uh, the first year was good, and now we're doing second year. I love that. And it's never been more important than it is now with everything going on in COVID-19 here. We do have these new sets that are finally being acknowledged as heroes. These care workers are amazing. Talk about a little bit as, of what um, COVID-19 COVID means to the LGBTQ community, especially those with HIV. Any special precautions or anything you're paying attention to or you're trying to get the word out on? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple different things that just considerations. I think that it becomes really important for us to have a conversation about LGBTQ individuals and mental health in context of, you know, social isolation. I think some people really thrive and 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 haven't hard had haven't had a hard time with this whole process because they're naturally kind of, um, you know, they go off on their own a little bit and they need a lot of time and there's other people like me that there's you know when i'm not around you know other people that i start feeling really terrible and depressed uh it's like you know being in the winter in a room or like jeffrey was solitary confinement for two months like uh and so i think it's really important for us to just be aware of that and make sure that that if there if we as lgbtq individuals start feeling anything that's not normal that we've got to really reach out and and we've got to be watching for our friends and say hey i haven't heard from you in a couple of days can we you know do a skype tonight or you know get on facebook messenger as a group so i think it's really important right. that we do that and i think it's also important that we are aware as a community that when we go into the health space that there's still stigma against people that identify as lesbian gay transgender uh bisexual like yeah any of those questioning, uh, we have 
a healthcare uh, a healthcare system that doesn't um, necessarily identify with us. And so we've got to fight those things. And so it's really important, like what we saw in New York when that, in Central Park, when that makeshift hospital was created, and they didn't want to service uh, people that identify as LGBTQ. Like we've got to stand right, up and Franklin fight against Graham's that. Group. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of horrible. That whole Franklin Graham thing. I am glad that we advocated against that because you're right. We we have lots of these things that we need to pay attention to still that uh, people are still doing some discrimination for. So, yeah, so well, and people are doing. taking advantage of this time to, like, uh, to go after us in, in certain ways. So just as a group, I think that we've just got to maintain our solidarity, even if we're isolated as individuals. Very well said. Well, I want to talk about your website. You have great resources on there. You have your blog um, talk about where everyone can find you on there and your social media and let everyone know where they can follow along as I do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my blog that I, that I post a couple times a month is uh, I'm still Josh.com. Uh, I've been really lucky with the blog content because I've gotten some really cool interviews. So like Dr. Fauci, the first time that he said zero risk for people that are undetectable and living with HIV and on antiretroviral therapy I was able to scoop national news and get that story, and, and that story's on there and a ton of others. Um, and I, I don't just focus only on HIV, but it usually has a sexual health context. Uh, so right. it's I'm still Josh.com, and then on social media, on any relevant form, I'm, I'm still Josh. Very, very well. Well, my friend, I love having you back on the show. We may have to have a little – uh, Josh Minute here on the show from time to time. That'd be kind of I fun maybe that. once a month. That would be yeah, amazing. I would, love, I would love to do that with you. Okay, you know I'm going to hold that to you because you're bringing it up now on air. And so, if you're not going to let me do that, then then you know I'm going to be texting you every time and giving you the minute, either uh, regardless. So, <laughs> if you keep Bugging texting it. me pictures of you and Jeffrey, I will commit to it. <laughs> That's all there is to it. <laughs> Now, I definitely want to have you on. I think that would be uh, that would be a great service to um, my listeners. So I think we're going to do that for sure. Okay. Well, my cool. friend, thanks to you, thanks to Jeffrey for being on the show. We're going to do a special five questions with Josh and Jeffrey. So be sure to look for that bonus content on the Left of Straight social media. So again, for being on the show, you are awesome, my friend. You are awesome, and uh, it was so great to hear from you again. And I'm so proud of everything you're doing, and uh, your shows are amazing. So congratulations. Well, thank you. And, Jeffrey, if you're still around, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, We're going to have to have a separate segment just talking about um, prison reform and things like that. I think you are a great advocate, and I'm looking forward to see what you and Josh can do together. Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. All right, well, stay on the line, guys. We're going to play out a little music here. We will be back. Uh, you're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. I can't say for sure I would die that day on the beach. Vodka, brown bag, please 
right, we are back, guys and gals. That was champagne from our buddy Steve Grand. Very appropriate for our next topic we're talking about. Uh, the next guest I met while working with HelpWeho.com, where he served as co-master of ceremonies with the lovely Butter on our Sunday Funday streaming telethon that raised over $7,000 in just two hours on April 18th. He's created his own lifestyle brand upon moving to Southern California from the East Coast, and the fantastic Hamptons to Hollywood was breathed into life. He covers the best in casual luxury, from fashion to food, events to culture, and all areas in between. He's also written a young adult novel, has contributed to many publications, and has taken over the YouTube with everything from interviews from innovators and change makers to making the perfect quarantini. Please welcome to the Left of Straight Show for the very first time, Mr. Kyle Lang. And Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. I am so excited to have you on, my friend. I was so impressed with yours and Butter's work at our fundraiser we did uh, a week or so ago. Uh, how are you holding up in Corona 2020 besides providing me with some great liquid refreshment ideas? <laughs> yeah, I'm holding up pretty good. I'm a little, you know, drunker than I usually am <laughs> earlier in the day because of my <laughs> quarantini studios. But it's been really fun. I think that's what's really cool about this time is that everyone's creativity is really coming through, you know, and because we're, right. you know, confined and, and isolated, people are finding, you know, new ways to kind of, you know, new iterations of their own creativity. So I think it's really exciting to see what everybody's doing. It really is amazing. I mean, you've been doing videos forever, and we'll talk about that in a bit. And I like that you do different kind of shoot, uh, change it up in different ways. But we have everything from musicians playing songs live from their living room to uh, fitness trainers giving you a live workout over the web to people are doing virtual houses right now, showing people different. It's just a crazy time to be creative and make some fun on the Internet. And you do it well, my friend. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really nice. Yeah, it's really inspiring to see everybody, what everybody's doing. Well, let's start with a little background before we jump into the website and your brand here. Talk about growing up on the East Coast. What kind of a kid were you, and what did you first want to be when you grew up? <laughs> what kind of a kid was I? I think I was very, um, I very much lived in my own imagination. So I was always like making up stories and, and, you know, like writing like little like novels, I called them. They were just like, in like five pages of like a notebook, which seemed like, you know, something so long, so hard to write, but I was always kind of creating stories and acting and, and, um, and I acted throughout, you know, high school and everything. So I was always just very much a, of a storyteller, I think. And, you know, I've definitely taken that a lot with me into my adult life, which is I'm really, you know, happy about. It's very cool. Yeah, it's great experiences like that when you can take your, your growing up passions and turn into something you love. So very cool. I like that. And yeah. when did your journey of coming out to yourself first happened and who was maybe the first person you told? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I, it wasn't until I moved to California. So it was 2012, like 12 or 13. And I, the first person I told, I was probably, I came out later in life. So I was like 24. I guess that's later. I mean, I see people now coming out when they're like, you know, 16 teenagers. And I think that's so amazing. Right, I just, right. It's it's so funny how not not that I'm really old, but like it's so funny how times are changing so quickly and people are are feeling more safe to come out now. I think it's really 
it's really cool. The first person I told was probably probably my mom. Yeah, probably my mom, my parents, who were very right. – and I'm thankful. Yeah, it was really – I had a not um, – I didn't have a like a jarring or kind of like bad experience with it, which I'm also very grateful for. I think you know everything. You know, people, kids who come out are really. My heart goes out to the ones that really struggle with. You know what I mean? It's just it's really sad. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, it's it's a whole different time, uh, but it's still the same trepidations and fear. I was talking yeah. to someone today who was saying how it took them like three times to tell their parents. And every time they did, they had a bag packed and a plan to stay at a friend's house in case they were kicked out of the house. And wow. so it, it's, it still happens, but luckily not as much today. And it is happening younger and yeah. well on these guys, these brave people for coming out so early and living their truth. I wish I would have done mine. I was the same thing. I was a, a kind of a late I was a sneaky gay. I mean, I would go out when I was 18 or 19 and find that I would go far away from home to try to see what the gay lifestyle was like, or I hate the word lifestyle, but figuring out what the gay experience was like. But I didn't really come out to anyone until the same time, right around 22, 23. So I hear you, brother. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Hamptons. It really is kind of an East Coast thing that has been uh, talked about everywhere now, but it's kind of like the Cape Cod and Outer Banks to those not quite as cute as us. <laughs> what was your experience over there in the Hamptons? Well, it's it's one of my favorite places in the world, and I think it's because I went there with my family just kind of like on you know vacations or whatever in the, when I was a kid, and then and so I was very familiar with it and didn't really stand like the allure of it until I was like an adult. Because you know, right. I'm a kid, you're not aware of those things. But then, after I graduated <laughs> from co- from college, I I moved there and I worked there for a couple of years, which was really cool and fun. And and I got to like you know see it from like a local. I was struggling. I had just graduated college, and I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I was like writing for um, a website out there called Guest of the Guest, and I was a waiter and. It was just really, I was like, what am I going to do? I can't stay in the Hamptons forever. And so I started, I actually went to this advertising agency to like hope these, like it was a a family run advertising agency. And I said, hoping that they would hire me basically. And they were like, no, you (laughs) should start a blog. And, And so I started my first blog and it was called Waiting in the Hamptons. And it was kind of about like funny server stories from like the wait, the waiter perspective in the Hamptons. I did that for like two summers and then I moved to LA and I was like, well, I can't be waiting in the Hamptons if I don't live there. So I started Hamptons to Hollywood. They're very literal <laughs> brands that I created for myself. <laughs> but, um, they say right what end, you so know, that, right? That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I started as basically kind of like an online journal to kind of chronicle my, um, my move to LA. But yeah, the Hamptons are, they hold a very, a special place in my heart. <laughs> and talk about moving to LA. What was your first impression? Some people love it, some people hate it. What was your What was your first impressions when you got there? My first impression was that I hated it. I don't know why. I I, I think I compared it so much to New York because that's all that I knew, you know. And you can't do that because right. they're so wild, wildly different. I yeah, it took me a while to like warm up to LA. I would say like I when everyone always asks me like you know oh should I move to LA I've thought about it like what do I do I always say you have to give it at least like two years because I didn't even really start to find like my core friend group until like my third year here 
so it's it's definitely but but I love it now. You know, I don't really know where else. I mean, obviously the weather's great, you know that, and um, and there's just so much opportunity for entertainment, which was what really brought me out here, and so I I have a much better relationship with LA now. <laughs> Right. I brought a lot of friends from Ohio. I've been in Ohio for a while now. I'll bring friends back to LA. I try to go at least once a year. And it, and it's very, it is very polarizing. For some people, it's just way too fast paced. For some people, they think that uh, we talk and we're too snobby. But <laughs> some people just miss the uh, wide open spaces of Ohio. But there, it's it's a lot of differences to a lot of different people. But I loved LA. I, I would yeah. move back in a second, probably. Very cool. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this. You're starting this in 2011. You get there. You're writing a personal blog, like you said, really. What was the initial idea to expand it and create it into an actual brand now that you're writing about the differences between the two places? Well, it's so funny because I moved there, and, like, social media, like, wasn't really a thing. Like, and there was, like, Facebook and everything, but it was, like, a pretty, like, nascent field. And as it started to grow, I was like, oh, let me – I have this like platform let me see if I can like optimize it and not make it just be something that my mom wants to read but like something that people <laughs> could come to and get like insight or advice or just know where to get brunch in the Hamptons or whatever and I had been writing for publications throughout college and freelance I still do so I had I kind of knew like what made a good piece of content and so I just kind of dove in and just started you know, producing mainly articles in the beginning of, you know, like top 10 lists of like where to go or, you know, stuff like that. And I mean, it's still growing. It's still not where I want it to be. You know, I think, I think it's at the acorn stage of where I kind of see it going, but yeah, now I'm doing videos and now I'm doing these, this really cool quarantini series where every Thursday I make a new quarantini and it's just like, and it, it's very, those videos are very representative of the brand where it's, it's a happy brand. It doesn't take itself very seriously, but it's still kind of offering a kind of luck product, you know, with that, with, without all the pretense. Just right. Kind of and that's luck. what I wanted to say. I mean, it is very fun. I mean, you write so well and you are so funny uh, with your observations. Did you ever kind of get anyone to try to make it go a little more highbrow? Because I love it the way the sensibility is from it. Is this something that you kept, were you able to keep your vision the entire time or did you ever think, oh, maybe I need to go a little more highbrow? Cause I think it's, it has a great blend of humor and actually luxury events. It's very cool. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously when you say the word Hamptons or Hollywood, there's a, a cachet that comes with that and it probably is a little bit more highbrow right. than what I'm offering. But my whole thing is kind of like both of those places, while, you know, very highbrow are also very like casually luxurious, right? Like in LA compared to New York city still has a, is very casual, I think, in the way, in the sensibilities, you know, it's the pacing, the way people dress, and Hamptons is obviously super laid back, so I kind of, it's pretty much remained the same. I I like to kind of take something, again, like something high-end or high-product, and then juxtapose it next to something that's, like, funny or irreverent, and I think, and that's kind of just who I am, and I think that authenticity is what makes, you know, brands succeed, so I'm trying to just right. make it happen. <laughs> well, exactly, and that's what I wanted to say. I mean, your categories are perfect, fashion, festivities, food, fun, lifestyle, 
Um, you got to love those areas, I would think. I I started my entire show all about entertainment, foodies, and books. Those were the three things that I loved and really enjoyed. Um, so you're able to kind of keep true to yourself, and I like that. Have you felt yourself drawn to one or the other? Have you been able to kind of, do your interests stay all five places, or do you find yourself uh, leering one way or the other lately? Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, definitely not fashion because I'm not leaving my house at all. So I am like sitting in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I probably, I mean, I think the food thing is like the, is the most kind of universal because everyone loves a good recipe. Everyone loves a good cocktail. <laughs> everyone, right. you know, likes to, it's all, it's very like, um, it's not a gendered category. Like everyone kind of like needs to eat and then loves food. So that's kind of where I feel like I've been putting my focus lately. I love all of them. I think that, you know, I, and I still am not even doing as much with them as I would like, <laughs> of course, as like a, any creative person, like, you know, you're never satisfied sure. with what you have. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the, the food category is fun. And what were some of your early struggles trying to build the brand and maybe some of your early successes as well? I think some of the early struggles and which have just kind of, it's been kind of the same as they are now, just in a different way is just kind of getting, it's just awareness. I think that because, you know, how many lifestyle bloggers are there out there? You know, I think it's just, it's a saturated market and that's one of the reasons why I, I also kind of keep everything very, goofy for lack of a better word because I think that is kind of where it stands out but I think but I think still just growth I mean everyone you know everyone's creating content and I think that um so just growth has been was something still was something that you know like I said you're never happy where you are (laughs) and then um early (laughs) successes I think I because I kind of was doing it kind of early on, I remember getting like approached by like the E network. They were filming like a reality TV show in the Hamptons. And because I was one of the only Hamptons bloggers, you know what I mean? Like I, and was local, like they, I kind of was lucky in that way. So that was really cool. I got to, I got to do a little, like a TV show when I was living in the Hamptons out there. Nothing crazy, but like a little TV show called Royal Pains. And so I think it's all at the right time too. Cool. And I love that it's so accessible. One of the things I thought were awesome were your guides and a lot of your stories that you bring to life or kind of what to do when you get in LA or even how to get to LA. Talk about that as far as a how-to type thing. And with these guides, is that kind of fun exploring that and trying to look at it from a um, a visitor's point of view now that you feel like you're a local? How do you how do you like doing those yeah. type stories? Yeah, that's it's really cool because I still feel though I feel like a local, I still haven't lost like the enchantment of LA. You know what I mean? Like I still love going to the Hollywood sign just because it was such like a beacon of like uh, inspiration for me, like growing up. And now like to say mm-hmm. that I can drive 15 minutes and like, just go like <laughs> hang out there for 10 minutes and just like look at it and like look, have the view. It's really cool. And so I, I always try and, you know, think about, I, I don't like to be jaded. I think being jaded is like one of the worst things that can happen to someone because you lose the magic, you know? And so I, um, and so I love kind of tapping into that side of myself and being like, okay, yeah. I like I think for I had my eighth year anniversary um, in November with like celebrating Hamptons to Hollywood, and so I just kind of recapped my drive across the country and like my mom prints out like MapQuest directions of like where to go because I drove out here by myself. 
and and just kind of like getting like re- revisiting that time, it, it kind of makes everything just feel like more alive, you know. And so I always try and write content for the people, for the kid that, you know, like me and so many who dream of going to like the big city and and just kind of taking leap of faith. I think that's really that's part of the brand too at its core, you know. And I think I, I love kind of um, creating content for for those kind of people. That is awesome. And what are what would you say are your bigger cha- biggest challenges currently? Like you said, there's so many people out there trying to become insta famous and do their own little things. You've been doing this for a long time now. What what are you finding um, now that you need to do maybe a little differently, or or where do you feel you fit in right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I think that you just have to always be looking at like the next thing. You know what I mean? And my like TikTok is like blowing up, and like that's kind of what's projected to kind of be the next big platform, which is interesting because for someone like me who, you know, my background is in like the written word and it's kind of like, how does that translate into a 15 second video, you know? And so it kind of right. me on, on my toes to kind of think, okay, well, I still want to obviously create something, but you know, if I'm going to be writing like a 500 or a thousand word like article, like, is anyone going to read it anymore? So it kind of just <laughs> forces you to, to to innovate, you know? And I think it's really been cool and for creators. Uh, so yeah. With that, with that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's exactly. No, you're, I think you're right too. Everyone has such short attention spans now, which is why I think this TikTok and things are happening so popular. I mean, yeah. when I started my radio show five years ago, I did it out of interest of my people. I did one hour interviews and I still kind of do that to this time, but it's like, Anymore, if it's more than eight minutes, I mean, they started that entire what Quibi thing, which is no longer than eight to ten minutes. Yeah, because everyone's attention span is going down so so short now that I find it a challenge I because I like getting a little more in depth. So, uh, do you find that challenging at all, or is it something that you're just learning yeah. to adapt to? I mean, both. I mean, you, I think you have to adapt to it, but it is super challenging because. But it, but I think that if you don't adapt to it, you're just like you just seem old. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean. Right. And so no, and sure. so I think and I think what's really interesting, actually this is what's happening to me right now. I I had my book published um back in twenty sixteen and then I actually own the rights back to the book now. And so I'm gonna be publishing it on on Amazon again and I have always wanted to do an ebook which I didn't get to do or sorry, um an audio book which I never got to do for the um for the first one. And and it's so funny, not a in LA, I don't have a lot of friends who like particularly like to read, which surprised me because <laughs> I always like like to read. But I was, but they were, but they have said like, oh, but if you do an audio book, I would listen to that, like you know, driving or driving or whatever. And so I was like, oh, right. that's kind of like the same thing about like writing a blog post or something. It's like you just have to kind of access what your audience, you know, wants. So. I'm excited to record an audio book. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. And I think that's kind there of the, you whole, go. the whole thing, you know. <laughs> I like it. Well, let's jump into that because I did ha- want to talk about it a second. It's a young adult novel called Uncharted Waters. It's set in the Hamptons. Talk about the book, how it came to you, and a little bit about the story. Yeah, so it came to me. I was studying abroad in Australia in 2009 in college. I wrote it a long time ago. And I I was having an amazing time. Like, I failed a class in Australia. I was, like, surfing too much. It was, like, the best. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I still missed, like, I had, like, three really great friends from college that I really missed. I was there for six months. And so um, I wrote this story and, and all the characters, and I missed the Hamptons because my family was going and I wasn't able to go with them because I was in Australia. And so I was like, I'm missing out on all this stuff. So I created this kind of story about these four friends based off of my friends and I who kind of like meet in the Hamptons and, you know, uh, chaos ensues, but it's basically, um, it's kind of like I, the, the report when I was pitching the book was kind of like cruel intentions meets the breakfast club at the beach. Ooh. Yeah. So so it's, it's funny. I mean, there's, it's like a, a, it's very much a beach read. It's kind of like a guilty pleasure kind of book. And all the characters are kind of exagger- very exaggerated versions of my friends my, and I. So it, it was fun to write because I, was, I felt like I was, like, getting to, like, talk to them again and spend time with them. And, um, yeah, it's been, it, it's been kind of one of the coolest things that I've ever done, actually. Like I said, I, I own the rights again, so I'm going to be publishing a new edition of it on Amazon, hopefully in the next few weeks to be kind of and launch and kind of promote it again for summertime. So I'm excited about it. That is exciting. And does you think it's going to reignite this love for longer form writing? Do you think you may have a second book in you? So I actually have already, when I, when I, I have already written a second book, but only because when I signed um, the deal with this publisher that I, who published my first book, it was supposed to be a part of the series, but then the publisher kind of like went under and unfortunately, and so that uh, was kind of the kill, the kill, the, uh, <laughs> the dream of this book series a little bit, but right. I have a second book. So we'll see how, you know, the first one, this new kind of the second edition does. And if people want it, I would love to release it. I think I have to kind of dust it off and edit it, edit it a little bit, but um, yeah, I would totally do that. That's like one of my dreams. I think it's kind of nice to there be able go. to kind of do long, long form writing and also do video and also do TikTok. It kind of just changes up your brain activity and makes you more creative, I think. And I think it's real important to do all that stuff. And like, I am older, so it's like I kind of stick to my format. But I, you learn the other things. I started this because I have the face for radio and I like long interviews. So I, and I, <laughs> I adapt a little bit at a time. And uh, But uh, it, you're right. It's kind of fun to have the different mediums out there. I'm kind of everyone's learning a hobby during quarantine 2020. So I'm kind of learning to do yeah. the video a little bit and having some fun with it. So that's awesome. And like you said, once you release this one, you just may, uh, there may be clamoring for more, my friend, an entire <laughs> so. second, an entire second occupation there writing for the young adult market. Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. talk about where you see your, your website going now. Do you, do you find yourself, are you content with this, things you're writing now i think you should add another h and maybe go hampton to hollywood to hawaii and maybe get some brand to sponsor and go to Ooh. hawaii for a month or so and uh and branch out. Keep, keep going west young man <laughs> any yeah. plans on any other <laughs> itinerations for it i am always thinking about it and i would love to kind of make it bigger than it is um i would like to include maybe like a uh, someone actually I don't know if you are familiar with the brand Man Repeller. It's actually geared toward women, but it it started out as a blog, much like mine did, and got very famous before and mine did not. But but the <laughs> founder named Leandra Medine, she said that she said um, a good piece of advice is be everything to someone, not something for everyone. And I was like, oh, that's so mm-hmm. that's such great advice because when you get 
uh, a core audience, you can be the only thing that they need. You know what I mean? So hence right. fashion, festivities, food. And so I'd love to incorporate maybe like a fitness component in there. It has to start with an F, whatever it is, because now I've gotten myself into this alliteration trap. <laughs> but, but yeah, and I would love to kind of, what's also cool about the site is that um, there's an online store. And so I sell products on there that are made from people like local artists in the Hamptons and Hollywood. So not only can you go and like, you know, read about where to go, or watch a video on how to make a quarantini, but also you can buy like a candle from a local Hamptons candle maker and kind of like support small businesses too, which I think is one of my favorite parts of the site. So I'd love to build out that online store more as well. Great. Yeah, I did. I wanted to talk about the store and you have done some great product recommendation, which is one of the things I like about blogs and lifestyle brands such as yours. You talk about that butter line um, and a couple of other things. I, I like when you get good recommendations of things because I'm really I'm not fashion forward at all. I do kind of like products um, as far as men's products, uh, cologne mm-hmm. and all the fun stuff that goes with it. And it's nice to have a good recommendation because uh, a lot of times you just don't have the time to, to learn about all these new things. And if you have one or two go-to places, it's kind of nice to have it aggregated there. So that's, that's a great service you're doing actually as well. Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah. The butter of this stuff is great. Thank you. For, thank you. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> No problem. We'll talk about, let's finish up with uh, giving back. Like I said, I met you when you and one of the local drag queens, Butter, did the uh, MCing for this event, uh, Help WeHo. Talk about the West Hollywood community, um, what it means to you, and why it's important for you to give back. Yeah, I think, well, it was a great opportunity to work with Butter, who's just the best, so funny and <laughs> entertaining. Um, and the WeHo community is interesting, the West Hollywood community, it's because it was really the first kind of place that I was exposed to, like, gay culture. And I think without, like, realizing at the time, you know, I was just kind of going out and drinking and having fun and meeting new people, that it was kind of like a haven in a lot of ways that I didn't think I could articulate it then that that's what it was for me. Not that I didn't feel right. safe to go out to like, you know, Sunset Boulevard and drink too, but, but it was just nice <laughs> to be able to have like a, a community, you know? And so, and, and also not even just for me, but just to kind of like witness like what that community did for my friends or other people. I think that was really nice to not, not really specifically help with anything that I was going through, but just kind of like be there for each other and be a part of that. And, um, and so, yeah, the opportunity, the Butter said, do you want to host this with me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It would be so fun. And so, yeah, we've raised in that, in that two-hour span, we raised seven, over $7,000. We are we hit that $25,000 goal. So it's really just, I think everyone kind of feels that the way that I did. You know, everyone kind of feels that it's such a special place, and they really want to help those people who have been displaced by the coronavirus and just give back to them a little bit. So I'm fortunate to, to be a part of the community here. Right. I mean, it is, and I, I was very excited to be able to help with that. I think it is important because it's tough when you're a gig worker like this. We talked about it earlier when we first started out here. Then if you're a musician or you're someone that uh, trains at Equinox or if you are a bartender or a local drag queen performer, your income has been shut down. And yeah. it's so nice that the community is rallying around its own to give back in some small way to those that have given us so much entertainment and pleasure. And it's, it's a great to be a part of that. So I think you guys are doing a fantastic job of that. 
and that's helpweho.com. We'll have the link to that uh, on the description of the show here, guys. But let's talk about where they can follow you, my friend. Let everyone know the website where they can find you on social media and uh, go from there. Yeah, so the website is hamptons2hollywood.com, to like T-O, Hamptons. Hollywood.com. And then my social media handles for my Instagram is at Hamptons to Hollywood. And my personal Instagram is um, Kyle J. Langan. Terrific. And we are going to be on the lookout for the new audiobook coming. Anything else on the horizon we should be looking out for? I believe that Butter and I are, will be doing, we're going live again on Sunday. So if you guys want to tune in to help, um, we hope, I'll actually, I'll be putting the the links to watch on my social media handles. So um, anybody wants to see us host some, some another fundraiser, we'll be doing that on Sunday. Very good. Well, Kyle Langan, it's been amazing having you on the Left of Straight show. We definitely have to have you come back. Maybe we'll have to have a little uh, segment once a month or so to talk about what's happening in the Hamptons and the Hollywood. That would be fun. That'd be great, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, stay on the line, my friend. Guys, we're going to play out. Um, and be sure to be on the lookout. We're going to do a special five questions with Kyle, find out some of the hottest places to go and other fun stuff there. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. This time I won't idealize you. I won't throw my hands up over my head and cry Still I know you are the one And I still taste you on my tongue And I would be fortunate to lie with you One more night much time now I just take one look inside your eyes and I'm flying what am I still doing here I know you will soon disappear but I still hold on to spend time with you one more All right, you guys, ended that song a little early. That was our good buddy, Matt Sir. One more night. I don't have much time left. As I said, three amazing interviews today. I want to give a big thank you to all of my guests. Thanks so much to Kyle Langan, to, of course, Josh Robbins, and to his fiance Jeffrey, and to Joshua Conkle for all coming on the Left of Straight show today. Great interviews, all three. Looking forward to having some regular segments with a couple of them, so that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Look forward to that. Tomorrow for our last show of the week, we have two great returning guests, Dan Zimmerman, who, of course, wrote for Golden Girls, Gilmore Girls, and Roseanne will be back to talk about what he has going on, which he always has a million projects. Then we're going to have Fernando Rivera, our good friend, coming on, amazing actor and writer himself. Then we're going to finish it up with uh, Ed Savato, and he is a LGBTQ travel expert. He's been all over the world, going to give us a lot of really cool travel hints. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Look for Ed Salvato, Fernando Rivera, and Stan Zimmerman on tomorrow's show. 
Guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Left of Straight, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R, and the number eight. Please download and subscribe at your favorite podcast subscribers like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, and Spotify. And we will see you tomorrow. Thanks for being part of the Left of Straight show. Have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye.